This is the Almost Awakened Podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. I am uh, solo hosting today. Um, this is Bill Real, and um, Britt, of course, as you listened to the last episode, is uh, going to step back for a little bit here and kind of take care of some things with family. And uh, here at the Mormon Discussion Incorporated, uh, the entity, we've got 11 podcasts and 11 podcasters. And um, we're, when this whole thing happened with Britt, um, it, it's hard stuff. Uh, the reason I'm pausing here is because this is a serious life event that's occurring and uh, we just send our love and support to, to Britt Hartley and hope that uh, her daughter uh, Florence has a, uh, a a solid quick recovery and um, don't know what else to say. I just, uh, my heart goes out to her and everybody here at the, uh, under the umbrella, all 11 of us and, and our various podcasts that were Brittany's on our mind and uh, dealing with hard things. So with that said, um, I wanted to talk about a, a few things this morning. And and the first one has to do with Brit not being here, which is that we need a guest host and we need maybe several of them. Maybe it's 50 people taking a turn each. But if you listen to this podcast and you really want to, you really enjoy it, you you're, these are the kinds of conversations you're enjoying having. It would mean a lot to me if you're interested, if you'd reach out and you can uh, email uh, us at Mormon discussions with an S on the end podcast with an S on the end. So Mormon singular discussions, plural podcast, plural at gmail.com. And uh, we're looking for a handful of people, you know, it, it, ideally I think it would be maybe three, four five people who could take some turns and, uh, and help, uh, us carry this podcast for a bit until Britt knows kind of what her situation is going to look like and uh, feels uh, like she can come back and uh, and has the time and the energy and the, the personal well-being uh, to be able to do that. So today I wanted to talk about a few things. Um, donations, by the way, we do survive on those and Britt gets a large uh, majority of those and so one way to help her out is to donate to the Almost Awakened podcast. You go to almostawakened.org, click the donate button and uh, send us three bucks a month, five bucks a month, whatever, whatever feels comfortable for you. And again, every, uh, every payout, Brit gets um, a far wide majority of that, that money. All right. I want to talk for a moment about um, cannabis and um, this podcast is going to be a little bit more of me stammering. I'm, I'm, don't know exactly how to cover all this ground, but cannabis is something I became friends with, if I'm honest, um, a few years ago, uh, about the time I was uh, separated myself from my religious affiliation, I began to kind of test all the rules. And uh, one of those rules is drugs. And I had used cannabis as a teenager. I had started smoking pot when I was 14 years old, and I even sold it for a little while as a 16-year-old. I was dealing drugs. And then I, f I found religion and uh, and that really kind of helped me in that stage of my life to to kind of straighten out and to make 
better choices and to focus on being the kind of person that my future children and my my wife uh, would be proud of and and that I could function in a way that was an, uh, supportive to them as a father and uh, as a husband. But as I uh, navigated my own journey uh, through all the things that I've been through, it became clear to me at one point that drugs were tools and they really are. Uh, at this point, I've done uh, ayahuasca once. Um, I've done uh, MDMA before. I've done cannabis a lot, still do. And um, I don't drink much. I don't really like alcohol, but once in a great while, social settings, right? That's kind of the headspace everybody else is in. I'll have a few drinks, but generally speaking, I'm, I'm, and when I use these things, I've used mushrooms a few times. I've used LSD a few times. When I've used these things, they have been deeply helpful to me thinking about my own behavior in new ways, thinking about the way the world works in new ways. And uh, every time, like when I take cannabis, like, yeah, it's fun. It, it puts me in a headspace that I enjoy my present moments way more, but it also helps me to be very contemplative. It helps me to sit and listen to other people in their conversations. Um, it helps me listen to other people's conversations and think about how they're interacting with the world. Think about how I'm interacting with them. Think about how I'm interacting with the world. And they've, it's been very helpful to overcoming my own like unhealthiness. And so this past weekend, I went to North Dakota uh, about a week ago. We flew from, uh, went to Vegas for the night and hung out there and listened to the, the live bands on Fremont street. And then the next morning got on an airplane and uh, flew all the way to North or uh, actually went to Denver first, had a big layover there. My wife and I had so much fun just walking around the Denver airport. We had a six hour layover. And so it was so cool. We went, um, walked around and the Denver airport, if you've ever been there, it's really like three airports and you have to take this uh, tram underground tram and you, uh, and then you can get on that and you can go to the various uh, sections. You know, they have the terminal a terminal B terminal C and uh, you can, right over to any of these sections and each section is kind of like its own airport with its own gates. And my wife and I went to all the little shops and stores that are, you know, normally found in an airport. But what's cool is there's a ton of restaurants there because Denver is this major kind of layover hub where inner, you know, connecting flights are occurring. And, uh, we went around to each of the restaurants and we were like, is this where we want to eat for lunch? Do you, is this the place we want to go? And we just had so much fun with it. It was such a great time. You know, it, it could be one of these moments where you're like on your phone and doing nothing, but we just walked around and really just enjoyed each other's company. After the layover, we got on an airplane and went to uh, Fargo, North Dakota. And my sister-in-law lives in a city just a little ways away called Jamestown, about an hour and a half from Fargo. And so, uh, at the Fargo airport, we uh, got picked up by my sister-in-law and uh, and her husband, my brother-in-law, and they uh, took us back to went to dinner and then took us back to their home. Um, I had access to cannabis and I had uh, access to enough to be able to kind of take it every day uh, while I was there. And uh, I I really enjoy uh, using cannabis. It it really slows me down, helps me to be more present. It, it kind of lowers my ego significantly, and I really have an easier time responding to difficult or tense moments or situations or hard conversations. And uh, there were several things that happened. I wanted to share several of these little events that went on and maybe see if there's any insight there for you. The first one was my sister-in-law took me and my wife to a, uh, a tea place. And this place sells hot teas, cold teas, flavored teas, all kinds of things. And she really loves the place and she wanted us to try it. And so we're in there and we're looking at the menu and they have a cotton candy tea. It's their flavor of the month. And so they have a cotton candy tea. And my wife and I were looking at all the things on their menu and we're like, you know what? Let's do this. Let's try this. Let's try the cotton candy tea. 
and uh, we ordered it and then we stepped back and my my wife was suddenly worried that the cotton candy tea wasn't going to be as good as she hoped it was. And then she started to worry that maybe the cotton candy tea is going to not be good at all. Like that's a weird thing, a cotton candy flavored tea. And so we suddenly are, you know, two minutes in, three minutes in while they take a few minutes to make this, uh, make the orders. We're a few minutes into worrying about whether this cotton candy tea is going to be any good or not. And it strikes me, my, I look over at my wife and I say, you know, honestly, like we don't know. It, it's an assumption that we're making one way or the other. And hence, maybe, maybe we shouldn't spend this present moment lost in a negative story that this tea isn't going to be any good. And so we were lost in that story. I'm like, we don't have to be lost in the story. We're making an assumption. Maybe this tea comes out and it is amazing. Maybe the tea comes out and it's just average. You know, maybe it comes out and it's mediocre. Maybe, you know, you're like, ah, I don't mind drinking it, but I wouldn't order it again. Regardless of what it is, that moment's going to take care of itself. It's going to come out. And it's either going to be horrible and you're going to have to sit in that moment with how horrible that tea is. Maybe it's mediocre and you're just like, ah, it didn't really add any value to my day, but it wet my lips, you know, or maybe it comes out and it's fantastic and it's amazing. And it's one of the best drinks you've ever tried. And you wish you had a place like this near your own home. Regardless, that moment's going to exist on its own. And any worry we put into this moment, assuming it's going to be bad sitting in a, in a negative emotional story. And again, it's not a big deal. It's just tea. Like it's not like we were having any real uh, significant hardship here, but it kind of is a reminder to, to me and maybe to you that the present moment's going to take care of itself. And that when you live in the anticipation of the future moment, you're actually treating the present moment as if it's already in the past. And that the most efficient way to have the most good moments is to not be lost in past or future, but to be present right here, right now with this moment. And, and it really takes an effort when you anticipate a positive or negative thing that's coming up shortly in your life. Even things that are far away, like death, we often spend time in, in some sort of negative present moment, worried about what that's going to look like someday. And the reality is it's going to happen and it's going to, that moment's going to exist and it exists isolated from this moment. It doesn't have to even be connected to this moment. And so in our lives, start to notice when you are anticipating a negative moment and are spending the present moment in a negative feeling when you don't have to do that at all. It ended up the tea wasn't not as awesome as we had hoped. It wasn't as bad as we had feared. Um, and hence we sat in this negative present moment that didn't have to be, uh, there was another moment here while we were in, uh, North Dakota and beautiful place, by the way, you know, we, I've watched the movie Fargo and it's hilarious. And people in North Dakota have these very strong accents. And often it's a, almost a chuckle or a giggle to hear that accent. But what I found when I was there was that people were super nice, that the weather we were there, of course, it's summertime, it's June, you know, 27th. Now we were there from the 20th to the 25th that, um, the, the weather for summer was nice. There were a lot of cool days. There was a couple of hot, humid days, but most of the days were just perfect. Beautiful. Went kayaking and had a ton of fun. My wife and I went out to a, like a frontier village, uh, saw the lar world's largest Buffalo representation. It's a giant statue of a Buffalo. And, uh, we just had a really good time. My wife and I had a, just a great time connecting with each other and not having anything super exciting in front of us, but just really enjoying family and enjoying the, the geography of the new place we were in and really enjoying each other. There was this other moment in North Dakota where um, I was making dinner for 
the entire family that was there. And uh, we had bought a watermelon. And uh, my wife and her sister were in a debate about how to prepare this watermelon. So my my wife talked about originally, she's like, I think we should cube it up. I think cubing it up makes it easy for everybody to get pieces and not have to fight with the rind and you know have an easy time with it. And her sister said, you know, I think it'd be better if we cut it into the triangle, the standard triangle slices. And that way there's less work for the person preparing it and that uh, it would just make everything, the cleanup will be easier and you know, won't take as much work or effort to get it ready. And as this conversation starts, suddenly everyone else in the room is putting their two cents in and they're, they're talking down to, to one side's approach and speaking up of the other side's approach. And, and suddenly there are these battle lines drawn. And again, it's nobody's yelling at each other. Nobody's mad. It was super, uh, humorous inside my head as it's happening, but there was definitely some seriousness to it. And you could see that people had some loyalty to one position or the other. And we're just talking a watermelon. We're talking about either cubing it up or slicing it up. And and yet, uh, you know, one side saying, hey, I, I hear you, but uh, I don't really care about how long it takes to get ready. It's really more important about the people who get to enjoy the watermelon. And then the other side's like, you know, I hear you, but uh, I think that you know, whoever's doing the preparation should always be thought of first and whatever is easier should be the the way that we go about doing it. And it just became interesting to me that in this world, we spend so much time taking sides as if one side is right and the other side is wrong. And we sometimes do it at the expense of making the other side feel shame. We sometimes do it in a way that um, causes some divisiveness or hurt feelings or some distance in relationship, all because we have an opinion about you know topic A and somebody else has a different opinion. And really, the secret is realizing that almost all of life is is complex and really has good and bad on all sides. And so, as we're sitting here, you know, in this moment in time where uh, the Supreme Court has pulled back. Uh, the decision from Roe versus Wade, and uh, it will make it easier now for the states that are more conservative to be um, anti-abortion, uh, uh, anti-choices uh, to women who are pregnant. And the reality is that when you take these really hard topics, such as pro-life and pro-choice, th- there are going to be good and bad on both sides. No issue is clear-cut. And We've been raised up in this world, at least I was, I was raised up to really separate good and evil and good is always good and evil is always evil. Whether it was uh, WWF wrestling, you know, Hulk Hogan was the good guy and the Iron Sheik was the bad guy. Tito Santana was the good guy and Nikolai Volkov was the bad guy. Um, You know, um, there always was this clearly drawn lines and you knew absolutely when a good guy turned bad or a bad guy turned good in wrestling. Uh, we also knew it in our superheroes and their in their uh, arch enemy villains. We we knew it in uh, our cartoons. We knew it in our movies. And the reality is that the world is a mix at every juncture. At every junction, there's there's good and bad mixed in. And so what ended up happening with the watermelon is that uh, a decision was made that the two people who really were debating these positions, my wife and her sister, my wife and her sister, they, they came to the agreement that they would each prepare half a watermelon. And so uh, the other thing you notice is that when we're fighting over things, it's as if only one position can win. We either have to cube this watermelon or we have to slice it into triangles. And and it doesn't even occur on the front end of the conversation to anyone in the room that you could just make it both, or you could choose to do neither. 
right? You could do some other thing. You go, let's, let's settle on a third thing. We'll cut, uh, we'll cut it into squares, whatever, you know, whatever it is. But we often, when we're fighting for positions, we treat it as if there's an either or. It either has to be this or it has to be that. And no doubt, some things in life are. But lots of times we can compromise in a way that both people get what they need. And so this, uh, this watermelon thing was kind of a, a cool moment to realize that we can have these conversations differently. We don't need to treat the other side as if they're evil or bad. We don't need to put people in corners. We don't need to make any more either ors than than already exist in the world. And often these things are um, they're paradoxes. Both things are true. It is true that one is easier on the person cutting the watermelon, and that's the person who does the hard work so that the rest of us can enjoy a meal. And it's true that maybe the cubes are easier to get to and you don't have to fight with the rind. And and so you get to enjoy your entire piece of watermelon without worrying about how close you get to the rind and whether it gets bad or you take too much or whatever. And then when your plate's gone and like when you eat the cube piece, it's all gone and the rind's not sitting on your plate and that all got thrown away already. But you can sit and say like there's good on both sides. You, you don't need to make it an either or. And so maybe in your world, as you're going through your day, look around at the conflicts that are happening. Look around at the fighting about uh, the the side of a position and how passionate people get, even in the most mundane of disagreements, even in things that absolutely don't matter. And the more present and aware you are, the more you can sit back and see what's going on as an outsider. And it really is, it's crucial that if you want to be really good at negotiating uh, with other people, if you want to get really good at um, being wise about situations and disagreements and positions and uh, all the things, being present and not uh, being emotionally invested, but rather sitting back as an outsider and going like, yeah, I can see your side. Uh, Here's the side that my brain represents. Here's my thoughts that are good and bad on both sides. And is there any way to find some sort of compromise or happy medium where both sides can feel safe and have their needs met. And uh, it was interesting in this conversation about the watermelon that somebody said, why don't we just do both? And that person saw through all the mess and said, hey, you two people who are disagreeing over this thing, go take your watermelon in the kitchen, cut it in half, and each of you make some watermelon the way you want to. And that's what they did. They were both in the kitchen. And so then they go in the kitchen and they have this great conversation. They got to spend time together as two sisters who care and love love each other, care for each other and love each other. And um, it wasn't any more disagreement. They just went in there and they both cut their half of the watermelon and enjoyed their time together doing so. Uh, the rest of us got to to move on out of this space of debate and tension. And uh, and again, it wasn't anything serious. Like it wasn't like anybody was really fighting or anything. It was it was like two minutes of interesting, uh, and just interesting to watch and to listen to. But that happened as well. And so maybe start to see those things when when you start to feel your insides rising up. Like ah, hold on, this isn't this isn't going the way I want it to. Notice that. Notice when your body gets triggered. Notice when you want to win. Notice when it's important to you to be right. And rather than worrying about winning or being right, notice it's starting to happen and then choose to be outside of it. You can be the observer of your body that's being triggered. You can be the observer of your brain that wants to win. You can be the observer of uh, your speech starting to take sides. And you can choose instantly to be something other than those things. And uh, and it will help you drastically when you're in these conversations of disagreement where you really need some level-headed person to kind of rise above the situation and go, hey, you're all, you're all fighting here for a position. 
you're all fighting to be right, but here's really the best way we could go about moving forward. And so my two cents to you is just to notice that. Uh, Also, while I was in North Dakota, a psychological study came out and uh, I saved a picture of it, I think, on my phone. Let's see if I can find it here really quick. And it was... um, It was in Forbes magazine and the title of it, it's in the science section. It was new psychological research calls out a potentially harmful parenting technique. And uh, what the technique is that they were pointing out that's not helpful is that we sometimes with our children or our grandchildren think that they will be better off if we teach them the reality of the world in terms of the good and evil that's in it, that our kids will be less likely to be kidnapped. They'll be less likely to be traumatized. They'll be less likely to be molested or raped. If we sit down with them and we have really serious conversations about how many bad people there are in the world and how those bad people make their unhealthy decisions and cause pain and hurt and trauma on the rest of the world. And what the article pointed out is that the science says that's not how it works. That children who um, grow up with a more uh, realistic understanding of the danger that's in the world, have more mental uh, challenges, have more dealings with depression and anxiety, more mental illness. And so that for our children to be healthy, it really is important in those early formative years that they see a happy, innocent world. And, um, I sat with that for a bit because, you know, I've done most of my parenting. My youngest of my four kids is 16 years old and, and, you know, he's in high school, but I've got a grandchild that's two and a half and he comes over once or twice a week. And I get this beautiful time to help him to grow into whoever he's going to be. And it really is fun and enjoyable to be a grandparent more than you would ever know. If you're not a grandparent yet, I, I simply will say it's, it really is the best thing in the world. And we're, my wife and I are having so much fun being uh, his grandparent and we've got, um, his mother is pregnant again and, uh, our oldest daughter is pregnant as well. And so we've got two more grandkids on the way and it's, I, I really am enjoying because I wasn't that great of a father and husband on the front end of life. There was a lot of ego, a lot of unhealthy mechanisms. And now on the backside of life, being much more aware of who I am and, and how I'm operating in the world, it's I'm, I'm a way better grandparent than I was a parent. And I, I think that naturally happens anyway, but just the way I'm soft and easygoing, the way I uh, talk to him to try to help him learn rather than quickly move on to the next thing we need to get done. And so I'm a lot more patient with him. And so it's been just really enjoyable to to live in this part of my life and to be grandpa, to be papa. Um, but I, I want my kid, my grandkid, my grandkids, uh, as they come along here, I want my grandkids to be equipped to navigate this world. I want them to be able to be to move through the world being productive and healthy, to be able to stand up for themselves, to understand the risk that are out there and to make decisions that keep them safe and reduce the trauma that they experience. I want to help them be kind to other people. And so I am tempted to um, be more honest and forthright about the bad that's in the world to help prepare them. And this article quickly made it clear that that may not be the right idea that at least in the in the you know the first dozen years of life that we ought to help these children feel safe that we ought to uh help them see the world as a good place that we ought to um not avoid because we do have to teach them things about the dangers in the world we can't avoid those entirely but that we ought to really keep it almost entirely positive and that we we and, and when you think about it like we evolutionarily got here 
And here's what I mean. When you're, when I grew up in the eighties, I was born in 1978. When I grew up in the eighties there, I was taught that there was bad in the world. It was the boogeyman underneath my bed. It was Freddy Krueger. It was Jason Voorhees. It was Michael Myers. It was, um, horror movies and urban legends of things that, that, that are dark and make noises in the night. And that's the way that we conveyed to our children that there is bad out there. It was, uh, it was something detached from reality. It was something that you could, you, it, you, you, your friends said it was underneath your bed. And so you would go into your, your room and you'd look under your bed and there's nothing under there, but you knew it was there. And so our ancestors had a way of preparing us to know that there was bad in the world without scaring us into thinking it was the person across the street. And that the children who grow up with it being detached from reality, the bad in the world, the research shows that they are healthier um, and and have less challenges mentally, uh, emotionally than than the children who were directly told to watch out for the very people you walk around every day because they are a threat to your well being. And so, just to note that research and do with that what you want, but uh, that was on Forbes. Uh, Online, you can go read the article again. Um, it was uh, titled "New Psychological Research Calls Out a Potentially Harmful Parenting Technique." And uh, together in North Dakota with a family this past week, there are all these cool little insights that are happening. And uh, you know, I came out of a unhealthy religious system, and and so I do want to say one thing here about that because I was sitting in the midst of family, some of folks who were in and very judgmental of how my life has gone and they see me as a villain in their religious, even their religious theology. Like I am an antichrist and I have other family who are in, who are deeply loving and respectful. And, um, you know, it's not always easy for both sides to share their life and their journey because it's poking at the other person's precious things, but that we do a pretty good job of it. And then I've got a ton of family that were there that, uh, that aren't in at all. They, they've walked away from it to one degree or another. They either don't mind talking about it, but they no longer attend or believe, or they just like, it's not even interesting to them anymore. They're just completely out. They're so detached from it that it's, it's not even a space they want to spend any kind of intellectual or emotional energy. And in the midst of being around all these people who have various affiliation, belief, and loyalty to a religious system, I just wanted to note something, which is that uh, cults take normal things and they make them sin. So that normal outside behavior and language becomes labeled as bad and sin while believers have to, regardless of whether they believe it or have doubts, they have to signal with compromised behavior and words. Like one side is just living their life outside of the system and the normal things that normal life outside the system comprises of. So say using cannabis or going out on Friday night for a drink to hang out with friends or to um, watch pornography with your spouse or to, um, go to a strip club or go to a, uh, a Cirque de Soleil show. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but a Vegas show that has some nudity or whatever. Like these are all normal things that go on in the world. And yet these things get labeled as bad and negative so that the insiders see the outsiders as having fallen away. When in reality, they're just living a normal life. They're the things that we humans are pulled to and do and it's a way in which we self-medicate ourselves so that we enjoy this harsh life enough that we keep 
being productive and getting up the next day and doing the things we're supposed to do. And inside the system, you have to compromise yourself. Now, maybe you choose to because you love it and believe it so strongly, but whether you do it out of choice or not, you have to, otherwise you're an outsider. So all insiders have to signal that they are doing enough insider things so as to be insider. Um, and, and that's the way it works. So there's always these little games that get played. And I picked up on a lot of that. I had uh, one sister-in-law who was talking about getting a tattoo. And in the system I came from, that, that many of them still belong to, that would be seen as not okay. That's not a good thing. We've got a family member who is uh, in a same-gender relationship. She's married uh, to another woman. And they just had a child. And it was interesting to hear members of the family be loving and supporting to that, even though their system says that such is sin. And so it was interesting to kind of watch the dynamic of people out of some degree of independence and individuality, some degree of loss of loyalty or need to repeat the system's uh, values or positions or beliefs. We're just choosing to be kind and to love everyone and to seek out self-expression in ways that the system would frown upon, but they don't care anymore. Like they're just doing what they want to do. And uh, there were a couple moments where, you know, there might've been some room for tension to start up, but it just never happened. They, everybody just loved each other and they were kind to each other. And there was this one moment where, you know, there's probably 40 of us in the backyard, maybe 30 of us in the backyard. And, uh, one of the younger folks said something to another one of the younger folks, like your music sucks. Like I'm not listening to your music. And I was sitting thinking about this because I have so many times in, in this side of life when I am in a conversation with someone I disagree with and I feel like at the bare minimum um, boundaries and privilege in, in all of our lives, that boundaries and privilege necessitate that if we want to be healthy about boundaries and about privilege, that both sides get to tell their story. If you and I are at a park, if you and I are at a restaurant, if you and I are at someone's backyard for an event, we we all agree to not talk about the things that piss everyone off. But we also, and again, it's not that we even make this agreement, but we should. We should have this agreement that we, as much as people need to talk about their life and who they are and the choices they make and what they're doing, it needs to be fair to both sides. So either A, we all collectively agree not to talk about it, or if you're going to talk about it, I get to talk about my things too. And any sort of fair, equal, healthy space requires that. So I thought this music thing was interesting because um, I spoke up at that moment. I said, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you get to think their music is shit, but they get to think their music's awesome. And if there's space here to play music and and anyone gets to put the music on, then anyone should get to have their music played. In other words, if if you like country music, but you hate reggae, and I love reggae and I hate country, if you're going to put country music on for an hour, then reggae music should get to play for an hour too. And you don't get to shut someone down because you don't like their music. Like we could all collectively agree here, like, hey, most of us don't like this kind of music, so we're not going to play it fine. But if we're talking about two positions, there's Jerry and there's Jen and Jerry likes country and Jen likes reggae and Jerry decides to put country on for an hour, then Jen should have her reggae play too. She should be allowed to enjoy some of her present moments with her music to the same degree that you enjoyed some of your present moments with your music. And that means that both sides have to sit uncomfortable while the other person's story 
music, life, position, beliefs, stance on an issue, whatever it is, is said. And we don't have the right to shut down someone else's music just because we don't like it. And and we don't get the right to say, hey, my music, and no ifs, ands, or buts, my music is better than yours. So my music gets to be played and yours does not. Don't both get played? Don't they both deserve to be played? Don't both people get to play and hear the music they favor? And when you apply this to the world, it's that when you come to a conversation where you adamantly disagree with the other person's position, as much as you feel you should have a right to tell them about your perspective, you owe them the right to tell theirs. Again, in so much as someone is not uh, imposing unnecessary harm in the world, Uh, intentional harm in the world. And I'll make even space. Like if there's something deeply traumatic that's happened, you have a right to step outside the conversation. You have a right to get away from the music. You have a right to get away from the music, but you have, you have to do that in a way that's responsible. And so as I was just sitting this morning and thinking about some of these things, um, you know, make of these, whatever you want, use them if you can. If, if you got nothing from this, then I'm super sorry. They're just things that I connected with as I was uh, kind of on a trip for a week and really had a chance to just be still and to kind of watch the world around me and try to pick up on on what all goes on and how we interact with each other in ways that we could improve. But uh, if anybody out there is interested in helping to uh, guest host this podcast on any sort of, even if one time to any sort of regularity, please do email me Mormon discussions with an S plural um, discussions. So Mormon discussions with an S on the end of discussions podcast with an S on the end of podcasts at gmail.com. And uh, we're hoping uh, good things for Britt Hartley and her family. And uh, if you want to help support them, you can uh, Venmo uh, directly to Britt, or you can donate to the Almost Awakened podcast, uh, and we'll see that she gets almost all of those uh, funds. So appreciate it. Hope you have a a fantastic day. And uh, I'd like to know what your insights are as well. When When you come across something cool, when you think a new thought, or you see an analogy you hadn't seen before, when something becomes understandable to you, um, don't hesitate to reach out to to us and uh, send us a story and let us know the kind of insights you're having. And uh, if if they're taught, if they if they kind of connect with me, then there's uh, a good chance that uh, we'll put it on the podcast. Hope you guys have a great day and uh, take it easy. And we'll see you next week. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman. 